Chapter Six of Umbrellas and Their History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Umbrellas and Their History by William Sangster. Chapter Six The Regeneration of the Umbrella. Our task is now nearly completed. We have described the history of the parasol and its near relation the umbrella as far as our space permits us to treat of this interesting subject. All that remains for us to do is to give an account of the principal improvements effected in the umbrella during later years. It is certain that France was some way ahead of us with regard to the use of umbrellas, for they were comparatively common there before they were at all known l'autre côté de la Manche. This was but natural, considering that they were, as we have seen, used in Italy, and consequently the folks of southern France would not be likely to be far behind their neighbors in availing themselves of the protection from the sun, whether or not they had sufficient genius to shelter themselves from the rain by the aid of an umbrella. In France, parasols and umbrellas used to be amongst the articles made by the corporate body of Borsiers. M. Natalie Rondeau quotes from the Journal de Citoyen of 1754 the price of parasols. It ranged from seven shillings three pence to seventeen shillings six pence, according to the construction and to whether they were made to fold up or not. In Diderot and d'Alembert's Encyclopédique is figured an umbrella which is described as follows in the excellent introduction to the abridgments of specifications relating to umbrellas lately published by the commissioners of patents. The ribs bear about the same proportion as in modern umbrellas as regards length to the stick but the stretchers are much shorter, being less than a quarter of the length of the ribs. They are double, each rib having a pair joined, one on each side of the rib, at the same point. The ribs are joined at the top by being strung on a ring, as in old English umbrellas, but the runner is made of precisely similar construction to the modern runner, and seems almost identical with that described in Caney's specification, patent number 5761, A.D. 1829. Ribs and sticks are jointed, the latter in two places. There is no catch to hold the umbrella closed, but this upper catch is the ordinary bent wire one. The upper joint of the stick is made with a screw, the lower of a hinge with a slide, as in a modern parasol. The slide has a catch resembling the ordinary runner catch. At the top is a ring for carrying or suspending the umbrella. Such was the old French umbrella, and that used in England was of much the same sort. The old French folding parasol is thus described in the report of the jurors for the exhibition of 1851. The folding parasol was constructed with jointed ribs so as to fold back, and was likewise self-opening. The rod was a metallic tube and contained a spiral spring which acted upon and pressed upwards an inner rod. To this inner rod were jointed the stretchers, which in this construction were placed above the ribs instead of below, as in the ordinary form, beside which they were much shorter, 
so as to admit of their being concealed by the covering. By the elasticity of the spiral spring contained in the hollow stem, the inner rod was pressed outwards and lifted the stretchers, and by their means raised the ribs also, so that in its ordinary or natural state the umbrella was always open, and would continue so unless constrained to remain closed by a catch. On releasing the catch it consequently sprang open. In order that it might be easily closed, four cords were attached to four of the ribs and passed to the handle, and a loop embracing these cords passed down by the side of the handle, and enabled the possessor to close his umbrella without difficulty. From the authority already quoted, we learn that whalebone was employed for the ribs, and that their number varied with their length. For example, when twenty-four inches long, the number employed was eight, when twenty-five inches, nine, and when twenty-six, twenty-eight, and thirty inches, ten were used. Calico was employed to cover umbrellas, and silk to cover parasols. The use of parasols was common in Lyon at that period, 1786. They were carried by men as well as women. They were rose-colored, white, and of other colors, and were so light as to be carried without inconvenience. The Encyclopédique Méthodique gives some interesting particulars as to the manufacture of parasols and umbrellas at the end of the eighteenth century. From it, it appears that the ribs were occasionally made of metal. On étant cette couverture portative par les moyens de quelques brins de baleine, ou de filles de cuivre ou de fer qui la soutiennent. This is interesting, as showing that metal ribs are not a very modern invention. The following statement of the comparative weights and sizes of umbrellas was prepared by M. Farge for the French Exposition of 1849. Umbrellas of 1645, length of ribs in inches 31 and a half, weight 3 pounds 8 and a half ounces. Umbrellas of 1740, length of ribs in inches 29, weight one pound thirteen ounces. Umbrellas of seventeen eighty, length of ribs in inches twenty eight and three quarters, weight one pounds eight and a half ounces. Umbrellas of eighteen forty, length of ribs in inches twenty seven and a half, weight zero pounds thirteen and a quarter ounces. Umbrellas of eighteen forty nine, length of ribs in inches, twenty-seven, weight, zero pounds, eight and three-quarters ounces. From 1808 to 1848, eighty patents were taken out in France for inventions, three of importation and forty-one for improvements in umbrellas. In England, after their first introduction, the manufacture of umbrellas increased rapidly. The first patent is dated 1780, and was taken up by Mark Bull for a machine for supporting an umbrella which may be fixed to any saddle or wheeled carriage, being far more complete than any hitherto invented. The invention is described in the following words. There is a ball and socket of steel or iron or any other metal or composition. 
The ball moves in any direction and is fixed by one, two, three or more points, which are forced against it either by a screw or spring. The ball is made with small cavities to receive the points which press against it. In order to secure it the more effectually in the ball, there is a hole which receives the one end of the staff of the umbrella, which is secured in it either by a spring or screw, or a sliding or a spring bolt. The umbrella may be taken away from the staff, and either put under the seat of the saddle or fixed before the rider. The staff may be made whole or in two pieces, the one to slide within the other, in order to raise or lower the umbrella, and be fixed either by a spring or screw. They are fixed in the head of the saddle and covered by a top, without making the saddle appear in the least different to what they are now made. The next is of the date of 1786, and was taken out by John Beale for an umbrella with joints, flat springs, and stops, worm springs and bolts, slip bolts, screws, slip rivet, and cross stop and square slips, and the manner in which the same are performed is particularly described in the several plans, figures, or drawings annexed. The drawings referred to are not easily intelligible from the briefness of the explanation attached, but show an umbrella with a jointed handle opening by a spring. In the next year, 1787, we find an advertisement put out by Thomas Folgham of Cheapside, stating that he has a great assortment of his much-approved pocket and portable umbrellas, which for lightness, elegance, and strength far exceed anything of the kind ever imported or manufactured in this kingdom. All kinds of common umbrellas prepared in a particular way that will never stick together. A description of the umbrellas, which in all probability Mr. Thomas Fulgham made, we extract from the source mentioned above. The early umbrellas were made of oiled silk or glazed cotton cloth and were very cumbrous and inconvenient. To judge from a picture of Hanway and from the other old pictures mentioned above, they were small with a very long handle. They were not used for walking and consequently instead of the ferrule had a ring at the top by which they were hung up. The stretchers were of cane and the ribs of cane or whalebone. Instead of the present top-notch and runner, both ribs and stretchers were simply strung on a ring of wire, and the inequality of the friction and the weakness of such an arrangement caused the umbrella to be always getting out of order. The ribs and stretchers were joined together very roughly by a pin passing through the rib on which the forked end of the stretcher hinged. The first improvement in this respect was by Caney, patent number 5761, A.D. 1829, who invented a top-notch and runner in which each rib or stretcher has a separate hinge. The top-notch was made of a notched wheel or disc, into each slot of which an axis fixed on the top of the stretchers worked. The runner was made on a similar principle. At the point of the rib where the stretcher joined it, Caney fixed a middle bit, consisting of a small fork in which the end of the stretcher was hinged. This construction was much stronger, 
and the forked ends of the stretchers were thus prevented from wearing out the cover as before. With modifications, more or less important, this construction is the same as that now in general use. The principal object of all those who have devoted their attention to the task has been to reduce the weight of the umbrella without, at the same time, diminishing its strength. In its primitive form, the ribs were formed of whalebone, which possessed very grave inconveniences. In the first place, it was cumbersome to a degree, lost its elasticity after any continuous exposure to rain, and, if dried without very great care, was extremely liable to crack. In the next place, the price was very high, and consequently the masses remained unrepresented in the umbrella market. The most important improvement dates from the introduction of steel instead of whalebone, which took place about thirty years ago, for although a few umbrellas were occasionally made and used of this material prior to that time, it had not come into general use. Amongst other improvements have been the following. The tips are now made in one piece with the rib, instead of being made of bone, japanned metal, or other material and then fastened on. The long six-inch runners have given way to the short one two inches long, and the ferrules are also much shorter than formerly. To keep the umbrella closed, the old-fashioned plan was a ring fastened by a string. A tape and cotton superseded this, and in its turn gave way to the elastic now in use. Sliding caps to fit over the ends of the ribs and hold the umbrella closed have been invented, but until quite recently do not seem to have come much into use. Simple as the construction of an umbrella may appear, there have been altogether upwards of three hundred patents taken out for various improvements in their manufacture, in addition to numerous alterations which have been registered according to the Act. Vic 6 and 7 Cap 65. With very few exceptions, the inventors have not been repaid the cost of their patents. This has arisen, partly from the delicacy of their mechanical construction, unfitted for the rough usage to which umbrellas are exposed, but chiefly in consequence of the increased cost of manufacture not being compensated by the improvements effected. The introduction of steel vice whalebone was opposed by the trade and the public in general, like many other great improvements, and it required several years in order to convince purchasers that steel would not only last much longer than whalebone, but would not be so liable to break, provided it was properly made and tempered. The misfortune was that, at the outset, a great number of inferior articles were introduced, and consequently the public naturally lost confidence, and it demanded great exertions on the part of the more respectable members of the trade, ere the merits of the new invention were recognized. At present it is generally allowed that a good steel-rib umbrella can be as easily procured as a carefully tempered razor or sword. A Swiss watch-spring maker named Sanguinide had discovered a secret of tempering steel which gave it great strength, and he had made some very light umbrellas, but they were immensely dear. On his death the secret died with him, 
and Mr. Fox set to work to discover a method which should combine strength and lightness. Mr. Fox's paragon frame, simple in its construction, half the weight of whalebone, but equally strong, is admitted to be the greatest improvement yet introduced in the manufacture of an umbrella. The ribs are made in the form of a trough with flat sides, by which shape the greatest amount of strength is obtained. The same principle, as is well known, has been successfully applied in the construction of the great tubular bridge over the Menai Straits, from which Mr. Fox took the idea. The weight of the umbrella having been thus reduced, the next question was whether some amendment could not be made in the covering material. For a long time, umbrellas were only covered with two materials, silk and cotton, and the want of some substance which would resist the greater friction and consequent wear that an umbrella invariably undergoes, formed a subject of anxious attention to the writer of this little book. Several materials were tried without success, until a fabric called alpaca, made of the wool of the Chilean and Peruvian sheep, presented itself, and for this a patent was immediately taken out. Of its merits it becomes us not to speak, but we may be permitted to quote the following remarks from the Grand Jury Report of the Great Exhibition of 1851. Sangster, William and John, prize medal for the silk parasols and umbrellas of excellent quality, and for their application of alpaca cloth to the coverings of parasols and umbrellas. To the above flattering testimonial, the following remarks were appended. Alpaca cloth is made of undyed wool of the Peruvian and Chile sheep, and it is therefore is not liable to fade, nor is it acted upon by salt water. Hence, alpaca parasols and umbrellas are much used at watering places. The demand for the Paragon umbrella is so great that the patentee is able to supply them at a price not much exceeding the ordinary sorts. The frames are guaranteed for two years, but in consequence of the superior quality of the article, the number found to require repair is much less than the average of other kinds. In the course of the two years succeeding their introduction, upwards of 50,000 Paragon umbrellas were sold. Nor was the progress of the alpaca umbrella less cheering. Though the material is in some respects inferior to silk, it has been found to wear so much longer and to cost so much less that its use is now becoming general among that numerous class with whom economy and an umbrella are equally indispensable. The sale of alpaca umbrellas in the year 1854 amounted to upwards of 45,000. Since this time, W. and J. S. have sold, under their patent, umbrellas to the number of nearly four millions. These facts we will leave to our readers to draw their own inference from, but the very kind reception which the alpaca umbrellas have hitherto received justifies us in asserting that no material has yet been brought forward which has so thoroughly fulfilled the required conditions. The weight of the umbrella has also been diminished, and, last not least, the price has decreased in a corresponding ratio. 
This latter fact is of the very greatest importance when we remember the immense quantity of parasols and umbrellas manufactured during the year in London and estimated at the enormous value of 500,000 pounds. In addition, a very great number are made in Manchester and Birmingham. To those who wish to keep their umbrellas safe and sound, we may commend the following extract from Cassell's Household Guide. Umbrellas are articles which generally suffer more from careless treatment than from legitimate wear and tear. An umbrella, when properly treated, will last twice as long as one that is not so used. When wet, an umbrella should neither be distended to dry, which will strain the ribs and covering and prevent its ever afterwards folding up neatly, nor at once rolled and tiled up, which would tend to rust the frame and rot the textile fabric. Neither should it, if of silk, be carelessly thrust into an umbrella stand, nor allowed to rest against a wall, which would probably discolor and certainly crease the silk injuriously. It should be shut, but not tied up, and hung from the handle with the point downwards till it is nearly, but not quite, dry. It should then be neatly and carefully rolled up and tied. In walking with an umbrella, the hand should be confined to the handle and not allowed to grasp the silk, otherwise that portion which is held will become greased and discolored and the material will be frayed out round the tips, which are points where there is always much stress and where it will always have a tendency to give way. When not in use, the umbrella should be protected from dust and injury of any kind by its silk or oilcloth case. When dirty, alpaca umbrellas are best cleaned with a clothes brush, but brushing is useless for those of silk. Ordinary dirt may be removed from a silk umbrella by means of a clean sponge and cold water, or if the soil should be so tenacious that this will not remove it, a piece of linen rag dipped in spirits of wine or unsweetened gin will generally effect the desired end. Having thus given our readers all the information on the subject in our power, even down to the last quoted paragraph, which may teach them how to preserve their umbrellas, we may wish them a hearty farewell, hoping they may long live to use these promoters of comfort and of health, and that they may always be as well shielded by fate from the metaphorical tempests of life as they are from its physical storms by a good modern umbrella. Fini. End of chapter 6. Recording by Roger Moline. End of Umbrellas and Their History by William Sangster.